Total Self Considered. I'm Jeff Fine, psychotherapist, nutritionist, and fitness coach. This podcast is all about bringing you cutting-edge research, experts' opinions, and the latest thinking on how to build more fulfilling lives. Whether you're in a rut and wondering what you can do to get unstuck, doing well but want to take your life to the next level, or just want to learn the most effective ways to improve your physical and emotional well-being, listen on. I'll be talking with respected professionals devoted to mind-body health from a wide range of disciplines. We'll share with you the best tools, strategies, and insights that you can start using right away to overcome obstacles that get in the way of enjoying life and creating your best total self. Hi, I'm Jeff Fine, your host for the podcast of Total Self Considered, and we're here with Zoya Simahutskaya. Hi, Zoya. Hi, Jeff. Thank so you so much for having me. Oh, it's yes. my pleasure, uh, and uh, all the listeners' pleasure. Uh, in, they're in for a real treat to have you here. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about the sexual relationship between partners, and you are really the go-to person. And so happy to have you here and willing to share your uh, expertise in this uh, important topic. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to introduce you because you have uh, really an incredible list of credentials. So you uh, have a PhD in clinical psychology. You're also on the uh, faculty of the Department of Psychiatry in the NYU School of Medicine. And you're an adjunct uh, faculty member uh, of the doctoral psychology program at CUNY and also at Rutgers. And uh, the part of you we're really going to tap into today is that you're also a certified EFT therapist, supervisor, and trainer. And uh, you're the executive director and chair of education, the education committee at NICEF, the New York City uh, Emotional Need Focus Therapy Center. And you are the founder of your own Center for Psychological and Interpersonal Development. That is a list. Amazing. Is there anything that uh, you want to add to that uh, before we go forward? Um, well, I think I, the only thing I want to add is that um, one of the things that I really, as I, you know, in addition to working with couples and individual clients, I love teaching and I teach both in the U.S. and uh, abroad, abroad in Russia and Ukraine and other countries um, to help therapists do a better job with couples, both on relational issues and this, these sexual concerns that seemed really, really important. Well, I'm so glad that you added that because I've had the privilege of uh, taking uh, one of your workshops, Sex is a Safe Adventure. And it was mm-hmm. really so informative and so helpful. And so you really, uh, you and your colleague Michael Moran, who I also am planning to speak with, uh, also do just an amazing job with this topic. And so, you know, in thinking about uh, this episode with you, one of the things that came to my mind is that I'm really aware that people, it seems, are not talking about sex with each other. You know, partners don't talk about it with each other. And clients don't seem to want to talk about it with their therapists. And a lot of therapists are avoiding talking about it with their clients. And even uh, parents are avoiding talking about it with their children. And children don't want to talk about it with their parents. 
And I saw an article recently, it was uh, this month, say, uh, the title of it was, Will We Ever Figure Out How to Talk to Boys About Sex? It was in the New York Times. And a quote from there said, uh, the author said, most parents, it seems, would rather poke themselves in the eye with a fork than speak frankly to their sons about sex. <laughs> right. so, so what's going on here? What, what is it about this topic of sex, people's sexual relationships, educating each other about sex and their needs and so on that just makes this so difficult to talk about right that's a good question i think i think in general our um our relationship to our sexuality is very vulnerable it's really such a area of our lives that is often so private and so sensitive Right, the, the the sensitivity about who we are as sexual beings and the rejection that we can feel, or you know our desires or things we like or dislike or feel good about, or the notion of experiencing those early um, sexual feelings of arousal, etc., is very vulnerable, and I think. To be able to talk about it, that you have to feel really, really trusting and safe. And I don't think many parents, you know, had it, I certainly, <laughs> you know, never experienced it growing up to have that kind of mm-hmm. conversation. Usually we learn from, you know, internet or from things we're overhearing from friends and to talk about it with your parents feels really difficult and embarrassing, right? And so then everybody gets embarrassed and everybody gets cautious and doesn't want to make each other uncomfortable. So even, you know, for me personally, here I am, I'm an expert, but if I try to talk to my teenage daughter about it, she's going to say, stop it, you know, it's too embarrassing. I don't want to talk to you about it. Right, Um, right, right. So so. that that vulnerability is, is really key, right? And um, right. thinking about uh, many years ago, this always stuck with me. I, I w- was working with this mother, and she was telling me that she referred to her son's penis as his shame shame. Mm. Wow. You know? So right. uh, I think there can be a lot of shame uh, tied into right. that vulnerability, you know, like... Uh, a person identifies right. certain needs that they have and they feel really scared to talk about it. I think you mentioned possibly being rejected or right. somehow their needs are maybe perverse or not normal um, right. and they get just suppressed. Right, right. And there's so many kind of both cultural and societal myths and misunderstanding and lack of knowledge about sex or sexuality, um, that oftentimes people wonder, am I normal? Is there something wrong with me? And I think, you know, therapists are human beings, so they come to this work with their own inhibitions or misconceptions, and it is very unfortunate that the educational system um, is also not providing that kind of education, both accurate information about up-to-date sexual research as well as making people more more comfortable and I guess the other thing I wanted to say 
even how we're talking right now, like talk to your kids about sex. It's as if it's often like it's the, the conversation, right? Oh, I need to have a conversation or the conversation. But sexuality is like with your patient, right? It starts very early on. How we react to our kids, infants touching themselves, right? Or how when they're getting dressed, are we going to say, wait a minute, you know, you're too exposing or you're wearing, not wearing enough. Or you're going to say, wow, you look so sexy and beautiful, but like in a, in a healthy way, not something that's intrusive or inappropriate. All of these are still part of the conversations, normalizing and making it beautiful and pleasurable. And I once asked my daughter, you know, when she told me they had a health class at school, and they were, I said, so what were you learning? She said, well, how to avoid STDs. And I said, did they talk to you about pleasure? And she looked at me like I was crazy. So we have a lot, we have a lot to learn. We really do. You know, the, the two points that you, you just said really stuck with me. Make it beautiful. It's because there's so many messages that children can get from their parents, both overt and, and more subtle. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a look about a top uh, or a pair of pants that uh, a mm-hmm. daughter is wearing, for example, could send a message about the body. Right. Commenting on a, a child's weight could uh, affect them sexually. Right. Um, or or uh, commenting about your own, right? If you yes, make negative yes. comments about your own appearance or about your, you know, your partner's appearance or how they are or you make, you say some kind of make a disgusted noise when your partner touches you in in that way and the child sees that all of that gets encoded downloaded that's right downloaded that's right and i also love what you said that it's not a conversation what it really needs to be is an ongoing conversation parents and children therapists and their clients that right. It's not just like uh, you ask in the assessment and then you never bring it up again. It's um, right. I think that is so key. It's not just the birds and the bees talk one time and then you're yes, done. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when we think about partners in a relationship, how important is it is a, a healthy sexual inter- intimacy to the health of a relationship? I think it's quite important. I think a romantic long-term relationships, um, sexuality is an important component. It sort of is part of the glue that keeps the attachment, the, the, the relationship alive and pure, um, which doesn't mean, you know, every couple is going to figure out their own way to be sexual. And there's certainly, I, I don't want to, with Never pathologize. There are some couples out there who both people decide that this is not the most important part of their relationship, and that's okay. But I think for a majority of couples, sexuality is a place where we can also feel loved and feel connected and feel uh, desired and playful. And so when it's missing, it can have a big impact on 
the emotional relationship. I love how you said that, that it uh, allows us to feel with our, par- our partners loved, desired, connected, and mm-hmm. it's a, another way to uh, uh, get those needs met through the, the, the sexual intimacy. And so, right. kind of just dovetailing off of that, I was just wondering what your thoughts are. What does a healthy sexual relationship look like? How would we even begin to define it? Or is it just so uniquely different for each couple that we don't want to do that? Right. Well, I think I think it's both. Um, what I might do, if you don't mind, I'll read the um, World Health Organization definition, which I think is pretty good, and that has changed from the past. And it uh-huh. says that sexual health um, is defined as positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships. It's a possibility of having pleasurable and safe, and I'm going to repeat those two words again, pleasurable and safe sexual experiences free of coercion, discrimination, or violence. And for sexual health to be attained and maintained, the sexual rights of all persons must be respected, protected, and fulfilled. And I think this this piece about positive and respectful, pleasurable and safe is really important, no matter what that looks like for each couple. I think there was a lot more focus in the past on um, safety and consent, which is really, really important because without feeling safe, we can't really be fully relaxed or fully um, engaged. But the pleasure aspect, I don't think, has always been part of the uh, definition. So for me, um, if the interactions and choices people make in their sexual relationship are respectful and pleasurable and safe, that to me is a healthy sexual relationship. What it looks like, you know, if people have, are interested in more uh, experimental or more kinky or more people who have fetishes or have different kinds of sexual experiences, all of that can be healthy as long as it's safe and pleasurable and respectful. I'm so glad that you read that definition because it, it, it really, I think it really nails it. it. It's like each couple gets to define for themselves what's pleasurable and safe. Yeah. And as exactly. long as both can agree that what they have together is that, then it, it meets those two criteria, then fantastic. Exactly. Really. That's, uh, that's really helpful. And so, we see, I see a lot of couples, of course you do, and we know that there are lots of things that come up for couples around their sexual relationship. Um, and before we kind of get to naming some of them, you know, one of the things we talk about in emotionally focused therapy is, is the negative cycle, uh, right. which is, in the broader sense, kind of a repeating pattern that partners get pulled into where they're both kind of uh, struggling to get their own needs met in a way that may not be working for the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't know how to get out of that cycle. Is that an okay way to define it for you? Yeah, absolutely. And 
And we know also that uh, couples can have different kinds of these, these negative painful cycles. It, it could be in the relationship itself, separate from the intimacy. Mm-hmm. And um, what you have uh, talked about in your um, workshops is the, the negative sexual cycle. And right. uh, I'm curious, if, uh, would you be able to talk a little bit about a, what, a sexual cycle and what that is and maybe an example? Sure, sure. You know, I think one of the most common uh, patterns is when one person is kind of feeling deprived and is wanting to be um, sexual and really wants to connect in that way and the other partner withdraws and doesn't want to, is not does not seem to be interested. And, you know, sometimes it has to do with general kind of differences, discrepancies in, you know, the levels of libido or um, sometimes people temperamentally. You know, for some people, as uh, my good colleague Mike Moran talks about, for some people, Sex and sexual intimacy is kind of this life, life force, right? Without it, they really feel like it's a vitality and so, so important. And for other people, it may not be such a huge part of their identity or life. So when one person is searching and pursuing and continuously gets rejected, then they begin to feel really, they can get frustrated, they can feel rejected, they might start to wonder what's wrong with me or what's wrong with us, am I not attractive enough? Or they start question the love, you know, does this mean you don't love me anymore, you used to want to be close to me? And they might get more frustrated or they might withdraw and might say, you know what, I don't want to feel rejected, so I'll I'll stop pursuing. That could happen. And their partner may be a kind of person that, in order to be sexual, they need to feel connected first, emotionally connected. And so if there's anything going on in the relationship, for example, if they are fighting or they're disconnected, the last thing on their mind would be to have sex. So... They right, might right. say kind of like, no, you <laughs> you snapped at me or you were angry with me or you didn't, you let me down and didn't show up when I needed you and now you want sex, forget about it. And they pull away, right? And so they they feel like you maybe you're not really wanting to be close with me. You just want to have sex with me. That's all you just want my body. I hear this all the time. In sessions, um, so that's one example of the negative cycle. There's always underneath that there are feelings of hurt and rejection and fears about what it means. But if people can't talk about it, they can just get stuck. Right. So it, it surfaces as you know, one pursuing and feeling, uh, having a sense of being rejected and unattractive, and the other one. Maybe the other partner feeling misunderstood and mm-hmm. having different kinds of needs. But you're also saying that underneath what's on the surface of this is some really profound feelings that um, mm-hmm. couples have a really hard time maybe even being aware of themselves. 
and and even if they are, how to how to uh, communicate those in a clear way to their partner um, if it doesn't feel safe. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, because I have uh, I've heard many times uh, from partners of, of both genders, you only come towards me when you want sex. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And. I I see it in heterosexual couples and gay couples. It, it's not, there might be stereotypes, but it's not always clearly cut by gender lines. That's a really important point. You know, we have these uh, stereotypes, uh, I think, that, you know, the men always want sex and it's, it's the mm. woman who is like somehow resisting or not as open. Um, right. Not as sexual, but like you said, uh, in relationships of all kinds and different genders, we right. can't uh, make these sweeping generalizations because it doesn't no. really apply. And I think the culture is also changing, at least in North America. I see more and more couples where it's the woman who is frustrated and, you know, feels like that she wants to have more of a sexual relationship and it's the man that feels kind of the pressure, you know, either it's, you know, providing for the family or trying to do everything, be a good partner and a good provider and a good father and a good everything and there's not much left for for even to be aware of his desire. So maybe there's a cultural shift that's happening as well. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you bring that up because it kind of uh, kind of segues into my next question, which is that you know other parts of the relationship, not the sexual relationship, can really affect the sexual relationship, which is what you were just kind of alluding to. You, know, you were talking about the man who is uh, working hard and doesn't, doesn't feel like he has anything left, and in the example you gave uh, that the wife was wanting intimacy and the man uh, wasn't able to or uh, or not willing to Um, and so as if the sexual relationship wasn't complicated enough we have other parts of the relationship that feed into it and vice versa right right and actually i would say in general the the quality of the emotional relationship and what's going on in the couple will always definitely affect the, their sexuality because like we were saying earlier you know it's very hard to be kind of relaxed and playful and have fun if you are stressed out if you're stressed out about your relationship or whether you worry um, whether my partner loves you or whether I feel good about my body and I can't really talk about that um, or there's, you know, kids and those stressors, um, how we talk about it, how much uh, that sometimes there are financial pressures or, you know, daily living that takes so much energy and effort and how... And if I feel alone, right, if I don't feel like I, you've got my back or I can talk to you about these things, then I have to deal with it on my own, which puts even more stress. And it's not surprising that at that point, the, the idea of 
being intimate or being sexual is the last thing on my mind. The other thing that can happen when we are not able, there are couples who don't fight, right? They're, they're kind of seem to get along and they are good friends, but the anger is not allowed or we can't really express our feelings. It's too risky or we're afraid. Those feelings can kind of pile up, right? And if we're really, really angry with our partner, but we can't even acknowledge it to ourselves or express it, that can also affect whether I want to be close or not, because our bodies hold those emotions. Right. It makes so much sense, because how can I allow myself, or how can this person allow him or herself to uh, feel vulnerable? Mm-hmm. to relax into that kind of intimacy and uh, it, being intimate uh, seems to imply you have to let some of your armor down you know to yeah. allow yourself to experience that pleasure that playfulness and if you don't mm-hmm. feel safe uh, either because of uh, what's going on with the inside of yourself or between you and your partner um, that armor is really hard to uh, let down. Right, right. It's very hard to be intimate if you have an armor on. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can and so pretend, are... I mean, you can still have sex. It's not like you can't, but somebody in the relationship is going to feel that it's not satisfying. Right. And so it, it seems like where we're really, uh, what we're talking about a lot here is how a person's emotions, their sense of safety can either help to uh, make the sexual relationship more satisfying or uh, more scary and feel less safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I'm kind of highlighting that is because I often hear uh, people saying, well, do I need to go to a sexual therapist who can tell me more about the, the practicalities of sex? Or, or do I need to see a therapist to deal with my feelings about it? Could you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Um, so like the yeah. difference between a sex therapist and a, a therapist that may deal more with emotions, or maybe they both do both. Right, right. I think if you, if you're struggling with some significant sexual issues, so what, what do I mean by that? Um, there are times when people have, um, difficulty with erection or premature ejaculation or, uh, something called, uh, vaginismus when you're, um, female, uh, you know, sexual organs, especially vagina gets really, really tight and there's pain during or when people attempt to have intercourse or if you have particular physical abnormalities or um, limitations and they could be lifelong or they could be due to cancer surgery or you went through a difficult medical procedure um, or your your medication. There's a number of things that can be uh, factors in this. I would say that you might want to get a consultation from somebody who is a 
you know, whose expertise is in sexual health. If it's more kind of general issues of different desires or you are thinking of certain sexual uh, wishes or desires that you're not quite sure whether you could share them with your partner or be able to talk about them or as a couple you're struggling, I would say that you could certainly work with a general couple therapist or individual therapist, but I would ask those therapists whether they are comfortable and have had training on working with um, issues of sexuality because that that professional will be able to do a good assessment and make a referral to a specialist if needed. In majority of the time, many things could be addressed through regular therapy, but again, I would really encourage clients to ask questions and not be afraid to see to ask what kind of training the person had. Right, because you're talking about that safety again. And, you know, so the clients want to know, if I'm going to bring this up with you, can I feel safe with you? Will you be able to hear me, not judge me, Mm -hmm. be open? Mm -hmm. I worked uh, once with a uh, a polyamorous couple. Mm -hmm. And so they had their own definition of safety and what was pleasurable to them. That's uh, right. And they came in, uh, the crisis in the relationship was, they had gone to a sex party, and both of them were in agreement about this, and the wife found out that the husband had had sex with another woman at the party without a condom. And wow. for her, that was her definition of cheating. Right. And so, you know, that, uh, as the therapist, we really have to be open to what the couple is defining for themselves. And we have to be so careful not to place our own morals or our own sense of, you know, expectations of how a sexual relationship should be and to project that onto the couple. Exactly, exactly. That example is a perfect example of this this moment. It wasn't my partner having sex with other people was not the issue, but my partner putting me, putting us at risk by not being safe. That's what triggered the uh, fear and reaction of kind of betrayal. That's right. And it's so important for us as a therapist to we have to really be where our clients are and, and, and kind of uh, going into this area of sexuality, especially with something that is so different from what likely many therapists are not used to. That's kind of a challenge for us, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. So that's really helpful for couples that uh, they should really be asking their therapist, you know, to get some comfort in how the therapist might work with them. And I I like very much your point that if it's something more medically related, um, you gave some examples, then that might be where some, you know, more practical advice could be very useful in learning to work with the components or the, the consequences of the medical condition. But when we're dealing with um, some more of the emotional aspects that are kind of feeding the, uh, the negative sexual cycle, then perhaps the first order of business may be to create that safety before 
the couple can really begin to talk about their sexual relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, as you said from the beginning, it's a challenging and vulnerable topic. So if we don't feel safe with each other relationally or emotionally or we can't, it's scary to talk to each other or we're fighting, then how can we possibly have a good conversation, productive conversation about our sexual relationship? That would be very challenging. Right, right. So that's kind of the first order of business. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just as we're kind of uh, coming to the close here, um, is there any piece of advice that you have for couples that uh, are kind of struggling in their sexual relationship? I guess my first advice would be to be brave and courageous to bring it up, right? To just acknowledge this and say, hey, I think we're having, I think we're struggling. Can we talk about it? And, you know, to to try to have a conversation not without blame or without quick quick shutting down about, you know, what about it that's bothering you, right? If you don't feel satisfied in some way or you feel disconnected, so think and reflect on what it is that is going on for you personally or in what ways you would like things to change and try to communicate that uh, from a place of compassion and softness if you can and on the receiving end try even though it can be really hard right if our partner says hey i want something different it can be difficult to hear and you might feel like oh my god am i inadequate am i not good enough and easy to go into shame but try the best you could sort of not to go into shame but rather get curious and express the desire to do better and try to reflect why what is happening for you that maybe maybe you're stressed out maybe you have some angry feelings that you are disconnected feelings that uh, hurt feelings that you haven't spoken about and they are affecting your ability to be present or to be there in a way that maybe you used to just Staying, trying the best you can to stay open in the conversation. And if you try and you're still struggling, then get some help. It's not, <laughs> I think it's it's really not an easy topic. Right. I, I, I love how you use the word, you, you said be brave. And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, that's, that's really what it feels like. It's like, boy, I really have to be brave to bring this up. Uh, maybe what you're, partly what you're saying is, even if couples are brave enough just to say, hey, I think maybe we have something going on with us sexually. I don't really know how to talk about it, but I just want to acknowledge that something is going on. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe just opening that door and say maybe we could go and talk to somebody just to find a way to talk about this could be right. the beginning. Right. Right. And there are, you know, there are some good, good books out there and good uh, TED Talks that you can sort of watch together or you can explore. You know, there's a, there's a study that, studies that looked at relationships and sexuality and 
the reality is that couples who are happily married or committed to each other, who have good relationship, that does not mean that they don't have problems in their sexual life. They do. It's just they are able to talk about it and persevere and then find creative solutions. So that's what we, you know, we want people to be able to do. Don't think that right. the idea that if, you know, if we, that happy couples don't have these issues, that's not, that's not true. They have the issues, but perhaps what they have is uh, some sense of safety with each other where it feels that they could be more vulnerable to talk about it. That may be the mm-hmm. thing that's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great segue to talk about your amazing workshop for couples. Is it for couples or is it for therapists? You're talking about the Hold Me Tight workshop. So, so we let's, have let's two. Let's talk about both for you. Yeah, yeah. So my my good friend and colleague Michael Moran and I, you know, we we've done these workshops is, for. Is so amazing, by the way. Michael is great, and I can't yes. wait to talk to him too. And you two are just such a great team. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Thank you. Yes, we are. Like we're good, good great team and we've been learning about it together and teaching other people so now we started doing workshops for couples one is a more relational workshop called hold me tight seven conversations for uh, for connection and then the second one is going to be on june 1st and 2nd it's both saturday and sunday it's called hold me tight hold me just right so that's we will spend two days focusing on this, improving our, having conversations and improving our sexual intimacy. And we'll give some information, a little bit of lecture, we'll show some videos, and then each couple goes and privately has a conversation, a kind of guided conversation, several, and then we regroup and, you know, if anybody wants to share, they share what they and as general reactions, we'll have uh, exercises, we'll play, we'll dance, and all kinds of other things. And we've done it before, and the feedback we're getting is very, very helpful. Because there's also something very normal. I think we're not the only ones that are struggling. So Yeah, it is a great opportunity. And one of the things that I can attest to, having been part of your workshop for um, the Hold Me Tight for Couples, is that you and Michael do such an incredible job of creating safety mm. for the participants because, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of vulnerability, whether it's talking yeah. about the relationship or the, and or the sexual relationship. And that's one of the things that the two of you pay attention to in a way that just invites people to want to go there. Um, I encourage people to come to these workshops with you and Michael because it really will be a safe experience. Thank you. And you can can learn more about it on our website, holdmetightnyc.com. Um, it has more information about the, the basis of these research, of these workshops, the research behind it, and yeah. But your practice here in New York City, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Zoya, so wonderful to have you uh, talking about this, uh, such an important topic. Grateful that you are so willing to share your time and your expertise. Thank you, thank you.
Well, thank you for doing this and for spreading really good information um, and helping clients, couples to have better relationships. Thanks for listening to The Total Self Considered, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the latest thinking and advice on how to build happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. In coming episodes, we'll chat with mind-body professionals from different disciplines like counseling, fitness, nutrition, physical therapy, and many others. And if you have any suggestions for who I should have on the show or what topics we should discuss, let me know. Visit MyTotalSelf.com and send me your questions and comments using my contact form. While you're there, check out the Total Self blog for more advice, insights, and strategies to help you enjoy life and create your best self. Once again, the website is MyTotalSelf.com, and I'm your host, Jeff Fine. Join me on the next episode of The Total Self Considered, and until then, take good care of your total self. Total Self.